Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Come on. Good morning, Rest Church. Man, like it is such a blessing to just be a part of this. You know what I mean? Like my best friends on the planet are in this room people that pray for me when I need it are in this room. Like, the church, the church is moving, it's alive, it's here today, and I'm fired up. I'm excited about it. All right. So, A.B., where is A.B.? Oh, yeah, yeah. Man, so when you handed me this the last week, like, I didn't really think, you told me to carry it until this week, and like, man, it's been super awkward at the office, and it's, it's loud, and the bottom wants to fall out. Like, man, it's been a been a little bit of a journey trying to tote that thing around all week. Obviously, I'm kidding. Um, But we are going to use it this morning. So, for those of you that don't know me, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm super honored to just be able to talk and teach you guys today. And hopefully, I know the Lord's really worked a a powerful work in my heart as I've studied this text. And so... In good faith, I believe that's going to replicate to you as well. So, this morning, before we really dive into our text today, I want to just do a little, just a quick kind of recap of where we're at. If you guys haven't been with us, we're in the book of Romans, and we made it to chapter two. So, I mean, like, we're getting there, you know, we're getting there. So, we've we've divvied the book, the entire book of Romans up into six buckets, The first bucket was really meeting the author, the Apostle Paul, and kind of learning a little bit about his mission, uh, his his anointing that the Holy Spirit gave him, that Jesus met him and made him an apostle. So we read, you know, we kind of learn about him and about his authority and credit to be able to write this scripture that we're learning from. And then now we're in the second book that we have aptly titled The Saints and the Ain'ts. And that's really, it's really just this position between, obviously, the saints, the people that belong to God, and the people that do not belong to God. Uh, And this bucket really kind of focuses, sort of, uh, well, not sort of, it focuses totally on the wrath of God and what that means. And so as we dive in, a little bit to four and five that A.B. covered last week. I just want to hit on a little bit more. So we know in chapter two 
that Paul is talking to the Jewish people of the church. So in Rome, you have the Jews who grew up with the law, grew up in Jewish culture. Um, They were very proud. They were the only people that had their law. They were a really tight-knit group. And then you have the pagan or the Gentile believers who were Romans, um, any other, anybody else other than Jewish culture. We'll just leave it at that. And so all these people are in this church together. And so Paul is writing really in chapter two, he's directing it toward the Jewish people. And so we learned last week in verse four that God's kindness and forbearance and patience are meant to lead us to repentance. They're not a license like, oh, well, God, God's got it. I mean, God's forgiven everything, so I'm going to continue on with my agenda because God's got it. Actually, we learned last week that with that mindset, with that thought process, there's actually another, there's actually another bank account that Pastor A.B. hit on all week long. So if this is our bank account of good works, this is where everything goes that glorifies and honors Jesus. This bank is for everything else. This bank is the bank of wrath. This is as you are walking and pushing through and ignoring and placating his kindness and his forbearance and his patience for you. If you see that, acknowledge that, and walk on through and continue sinning, you are storing up wrath in this bank on the day of wrath. So the big thing here today that we are going to come back again and again and again to is that neither one of these two banks in any of the works involved will save you. They will not save you. There is no salvation to make it to heaven based upon your merit. Sorry, you didn't cut it. You're not good enough. So... With that being said, that wraps us kind of up to verse six where we're gonna start today. And so I'm gonna pray and we'll get into the text. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to just digest and read your word and then hopefully give it back to your church and to your people where it yields power and changes their lives and changes their heart. And God, that we would truly have a touch from your Holy Spirit today. God, that it wouldn't be a normal Sunday. There's no such thing as a normal Sunday in your presence. And Lord, I just pray that right now that you would just fill this room even more than you already are. Lord, that you would, that you would press upon us and that you would open our eyes and open our ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning. And God, ultimately, I ask now at this time that I might decrease and that you might increase. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, starting in verse 6. Oh, hey, Johan, I don't have Sam's water. Thanks, thanks, Cody. Appreciate it. He keeps us stocked up in the back. All right, verse six. He will render to each one according to his works. 
to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. All right. So as I was reading through this this week, and, um, and just studying, and in, uh, not just this week, last few weeks really, but uh, just ingesting from a lot of different teachers and different books and different things. Um, and I actually learned a little bit here of kind of the literary term of how Paul has this entire passage of Scripture laid out uh, from 6 through 11. So right now I want to kind of take a step back and look at this whole pocket in kind of the 10,000-foot view, if you will. And so Paul, this is a, this is, the way he structured this, it's actually a really well-known type of uh, literary argument that um, was used in the Odyssey. It's used in all kinds of Greek, all types of different cultures um, to really emphasize two different parts of an argument. So it's also, it's, it's called a chiastic argument, sometimes also called an ABBA style of an argument. And I kind of laid out here a little bit to hopefully so you can walk with me. So we see that verse six, verse six is really written to both parties. We see that verse seven is written to the believer. We see that verses eight and nine are both written to be, to the unbelievers. Verse 10 is back to the believer. And then verse 11 finishes back up to both parties. And the reason why they use this, again, it's either... It's really to put boxes around and emphasize that the argument has somewhere to go. So it's really like you've either got AB or you got BA, however you want it, but those are really your only two options. And so that really, that really struck a chord with me, the way he, the way he built it uh, literary, because, you know, God doesn't miss any details. <clears throat> Which brings me to the point that we are going to hammer again and again. It is the main point of the service today. Throw it up for me. Your reaction to the gospel results in your reward. Let's say that again. Everybody say it with me. Your reaction to the gospel results in your reward. All right. We're going to hammer that. You guys are going to get tired of saying that today, but we're going to hammer it. All right, so verse six. Again, we know that this is to both parties. This is to the believer as well as the unbeliever. He will render to each one according to his worth, works. This is true for both parties. This is affirming where God will do what he says he's gonna do. It doesn't matter who you are reading this. Your works will be rendered to you. And if you'll see where I've got the verse pulled up, I have highlighted will render. Because as I was reading this, really wanting to make the basis between good works for the believer 
and a works-based salvation because the works-based salvation doesn't exist. And so in that hunt, I actually learned that will render in the Greek, the word that Paul chose to use is epididymi. And so we all like Greek here, but that word simply means to pay a wage. It is specifically not a gift. This is if I come to your house, I mow your yard, you pay me for my hard work. You pay me for what I earned, okay? So that's really important that we see that here because we see that God means what he says and says what he means. So with that being said, we're going to start to talk to the believers first. So we're going to start in verse 7, but there's a, another point that I really want to highlight for the believers here, and we're going to say it quite a bit too, and that is that believers persevere. Say that. Say that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the most powerful marks of a believer. So we start off in verse 7. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. This should be the mark of a Christian. If you walk with the Lord, you should be seeking these things. You should be seeking eternal goals. You should have your mind on Christ. But we... We need to take a minute again and stop and realize that we would never seek this on our own authority. We would never, we would never go to God in our weak, sinful state. We would never go toward him without him beckoning us first. And as I was studying again, I came across a quote this week where Mr. Spurgeon says that exact thing much better than I could. So we're going to quote him. It is an old maxim that nature will never rise above itself. Water coming from the top of the hill will rise as high as its source, but unless there is some extraordinary pressure put upon it, it will never rise higher. So of human nature. Scripture says it's exceedingly vile. We cannot expect good works out of an evil nature. Man, like... I don't know about you, Pastor Cody, but I'm sure thankful that Christ puts an extraordinary pressure. You know, I'm sure thankful to have been pushed out of my comfort zone a lot in my life by the Holy Spirit. So as we continue in verse seven, let's look and see what Paul's really saying to us here. So the first thing we really come to in verse seven is to those who by patience in well-doing. Okay, now as a believer, what does that mean? What, like, what does patience and well-doing mean? Are you just a patient guy, like you don't get mad at the red light when somebody, it's green and nobody's going, you know? Is that what that means? No. No, that's not what it means. Maybe a small offset. But really, patience and well-doing, it's the saint that's steadfast, it's the saint that knows what is waiting for them 
in eternity, and they love and grind through the present life with its struggles. This is the saint that works hard to serve and to benefit everyone around them toward the promises in Jesus that have been laid out in front of them. This is the saint that that loves you, that truly wants more for you with your heavenly father. That's the saints that this verse is talking about. These are the people that enjoy living morally, loving ferociously, giving freely, all in the idea of glorifying Jesus because they desire to be like him and to represent him well. And there's a lot of days in grinding through and being a Christian, man, like, I'm not even gonna try to pretend. It's really hard some days, you know? It's really hard some days, man. Like, some days I just wanna be at the office and I wanna get mad and I wanna act like a kid too, you know? And I wanna... I want to lose my cool and, and not, not think about who I'm representing and what it means. But these are the saints that persevere. These are the saints that grind on, that grind on, that grind on. When things look really rough and things get bleak, CJ, when things look rough and things get bleak, you grind on because the love of God is in your heart and you can't go backward. That's the saints he's talking about. So as we move on in verse seven, we see, again, a little bit of, a, of an odd statement. If you don't know what he's talking about, they, in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality. They're like, wait a minute, hold on. I'm not supposed to seek for my own glory. What does that mean? I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to seek for glory for Jesus, not glory for me. Well, thankfully, that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is glory and honor and immortality on the last day that will come from God the Father to you, the believer, as you have walked in the works he's prepared beforehand for you. This is the, the, this is the praise from God the Father when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's glory that comes from him for you on the last day. And that is absolutely something worth seeking that's something worth going after. That's something that's worth selling everything you have and buying the field, you know, because there's a treasure there. That's worth it. It's worth it. It's as he recognizes your works in front of every saint that has ever lived on the day of judgment. He's gonna read your works. He's gonna read the record of your life. I mean, like, it's hard for me to process. But ultimately, it's, he's good. And it pleases him when we do good, right? And again, I want to hit something here. Again, these works. What makes the believer's works different than the unbeliever's works is this gold coin that A.B. talked about last week representing, this is my good works bank account. This is where I'm depositing all of my good works, except without 
Jesus being the primary on this account and without Jesus signing every check that gets deposited in it, that account's worth nothing. So, again, it doesn't matter how many good works or how many works I do. If it's not rooted in the foundation and salvation of Jesus Christ, then it's just, it's just noise. It's just busyness. And so, as we keep moving, 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 as we keep moving, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 8 through 10 that I think are really going to paint and kind of articulate this picture that I'm wanting to paint between salvation and the works of the believer. So if you guys have been in church very long, you know this verse. I'm sure most of you in here could probably quote it verbatim, but we're going to read it because it's healthy. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a, what church? Result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. We are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. You know, we are created in Christ. When you died to yourself and you rose spiritually with Jesus, you became a new new creation. You are a new creature in Christ. You know, Scripture says that he was the firstborn among many brethren. And it really solidifies here that before we, as a believer, can do anything that the Bible considers or calls a good work, it must be rooted and motivated by nothing else other than Jesus Christ. Which brings me to a quote. If you'll throw it up there for me. Salvation comes from faith in Jesus. He redeemed us and our works are a measuring stick and evidence of what we have done with the knowledge of that truth as we walk in it. Now I want to repeat it for emphasis but also because I really labored over that. (laughs) So we're we're gonna get everything we can out of it. Salvation comes from faith in Jesus only. He redeemed us And our works are a measuring stick and evidence of what we have done with the knowledge of that truth as we walk in it. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with the knowledge that Jesus Christ eternally paid a price for you? Are you living in it? Are you you motivated by it? Are you running toward it? Is it worth more than anything else in your pocketbook? So again, I'm gonna, it, it was kind of hard to learn how to, how to go through this stuff because the believer, unbeliever, believer. So, I'm gonna give you a little context. We just went through verse seven, which we know was to the believer. Now we're gonna jump to verse 10 so we can just talk to the believers first. So that's why it's gonna be a little bit confusing. So we're moving to verse 10. But glory and honor and peace for everyone 
who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. And again, we can hit that point home. Believers persevere. Good here in this verse references obedience to the believer, of the believer. It's really recapping what verse 7 says. It's a little bit different. But also, we see that goodness is waiting. Goodness is what's required of us. Goodness is what's waiting coming. And that it was, this was promised to not only us, not only believers, or not only uh, Gentiles, I'm sorry, Jews as well. He finishes up the verse with the Jew first and also the Greek. Again, we want to make sure we remember he's talking to the Jews, the religious people, and he's essentially saying like, yeah, this good stuff I'm talking about, it's for these other guys who don't have the law as well. These other guys that love Jesus and that have, have given their life over to Jesus, it's for all of them. And so here, I want to talk a little bit about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I do not have a slide for this. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Like, man, that, that verse by itself is enough to have church with. You know, I mean, look, I mean, he's literally saying that it will be so good for you, Connor, that you can't even create it in your head. You, can't, you don't even have the capacity to create it in the wildest stretches of your imagination, what God has in store for you in being a faithful believer. Like, I mean, like, I just want to run a marathon. How do you, how do you not read that and understand that it's, what he's saying. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Of course, we know just like, just like the wrath, just like the bank where all of our bad deeds and all of our evil deeds go. And just like this bank, we are, <clears throat> this thing is driving me insane today. Sorry, anyway. As our bank here is stored up with wrath, we also know that this bank, as a believer, is stored with works that continue to grow. As you continue to be faithful, you'll be rewarded with more to be faithful with, your rewards will grow, your reward will grow, your walk with Jesus will grow, your, your relationship with him in those rewards and in that responsibility will grow. A.B. had a note that I was reading, just kind of reading through a bunch of stuff the other day. And it's, you know, like only in eternity will we realize what kind of note taker God really is.
So, believers, let's look at this a different way. What about some Bibles, Cody, Connor? I need some help. Thank you. Can you give me the blocks? Pretty please. And so, what I have here, for the sake of analogy, so these are Bibles. And what I'm doing here is building a foundation on both sides. Do you need help figuring out the TV tray, Connor? Okay. Just, Just making sure, man, not to call you out or anything. All right, so what we have here are two different foundations built. And so what I want to do is really paint a picture of what I'm saying. So we're going to go, Paul's going to help me here. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Paul laid the foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. So believers, if your work is built, if your life, your effort, your time, your money is built out of gold, silver, and precious stones, then it will last. That's what, I mean, that's what they built Solomon's temple with. I mean, scripturally, that is the essence of what you want to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. When God comes on that last day to test it with fire, it'll stand. That is the foundation that was built on his principles, in his integrity, for him, and while looking to him for guidance through the entire journey. So what we're going to do here is we're going to look at a few good works. So much like a lot of my friends in this room, maybe a good work in your life is a church plant, right? So I'm on the tail end of the plant But I can tell you, just being a pretty integral part of the day-to-day operation, I know that that takes sacrifice and commitment and love. So what about maybe you've got a D group, and maybe you're truly, truly praying and pouring your heart in to believers who are just a little bit behind you in the race, so to speak. You know, and so we see here, we see here we've got some good solid stuff built on our foundation, right? This is all gold, silver, and precious jewels. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe your marriage, maybe you're really 
really, really working on your marriage. You know, marriage will shape you, your spouse, husband, wife, whichever one you have, your spouse will shape you probably more than any other human on the planet toward being like Jesus. And that comes with a lot of forgiveness when it's not warranted to give, a lot of repentance, a lot of turning away, a lot of heartache, a lot of long suffering. Maybe your family. Maybe you, uh, you know, the time you spend with your kids at night, pouring into them and investing in them and reading scripture and teaching them the ways of the Lord, teaching them how to be a saint and how to truly walk with Jesus. And maybe, maybe something in your life one time, maybe, maybe you had to sacrifice a reputation for the sake of godliness. You know, maybe you looked like the fool at work because you had a certain, you had a certain conviction that you couldn't act on or, you know, who knows. But see, all this here takes me back to verse seven that we started with. Who by patience in well-doing. See, one thing you gotta know about gold, silver, and precious stones, they're not easily acquired. It's not something, you can't just walk out here in the parking lot. Well, if you do, you should probably come in here and let somebody know you found some jewelry. But, you know, I mean, like, it's not something that's easily attained. It has to be mined. It has to be refined. It has to be searched out. It has to be, there's, there's time and effort and scheduling and dedication. I mean, it's quick for easy for us to go to the, the jewelry store and buy something, but it still costs you money. How'd you get the money? That took your time, effort, right? So that is a picture here of what we're building upon the foundation. Remember, these Bibles here are the foundation of Jesus Christ. And this is your stack of good works built out of gold, silver, and precious stones. Our rewards aren't immediate. And grinding through life with our eyes and effort on Jesus in obedience as if we are spending our life mining for the things that are worth finding. So this side, as you see, this side has Bibles too. So this is certainly the believer as well. But it's a little bit different analogy. So this side is a Christian couch potato. And if that's you, listen to what I'm saying because this is important, all right? You can search your own heart. You can judge your own heart. Sleepy, lazy, half commitment to the transforming truth of the gospel in your life will be like building on the foundation of Jesus with wood, hay, and straw. There will be no order, no strength. So what about... um, Went to church pretty much my whole life, but just kind of never really got involved, never really got stretched out of my comfort zone. I just kind of checked the box and attended. Maybe uh, I saw a bunch of needs throughout my whole life that I could have easily met. Somebody was hungry, I could have easily fed them, but maybe it's a little too messy. Maybe if, I, maybe if I helped them one time, they were gonna come back and always want me to help them some more, so maybe I should just stay away from that. Maybe you... Uh, 
got all your, all your Jesus that you need on Sunday morning and you don't spend time in the week pressing in to drive into what he has for you and what's available. Or maybe on the somewhat of the same lines, maybe you just drank spiritual milk your entire walk and you never matured to solid food and you just stayed an infant in Christ. So believers, what do we do with this? How do we apply this? Well, I'm glad you asked. My notes actually tell us. Let's keep on rolling. So let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read a chunk. It's going to be verses 3 through 10. Everybody say, hey oh, when you got it. <laughs> That's for you, Johan. All right. His, or God's, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." Essentially here, what Paul's saying, just in those first four verses, he's really saying that God has granted us all things that deal with life, godliness, and the promises. God gave us all that solidified through the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done. It is all available. And he says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So I mean, like, there's, there's, there's really, that's the best roadmap in Scripture I can find for what does it mean to do good works? What's my roadmap? How do I get there? Peter lays it out pretty solid. Supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Supplement means to add to, you know? I mean, if you're, on a, if you're uh, working out, you take supplements. You're also eating 3,000 calories a day. You know, that supplement is extra. It's, it's more. It is wanting more. And Paul is saying, or sorry, Peter is saying, for if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, you see the growth of these areas in your life. It will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus.
So believer, be a good steward of, of your time, money, talents, and ability. And I don't know if you know what steward means or not, but really what it means is, Josh, while you are alive on this earth, you have been given your character and your personality to manage. You've been given your money, your funds. You've been given your influence, your place of work. Everything in your life, you have been given to steward and to manage. It all came from him. It's all going back to him. It's just what are you doing with it while you're living? (laughs) Scripture says to be trustful with the toolbox you've been given and that God will continue to add tools to it. The more you are given, the more possibility for the reward you can earn just like in Matthew chapter 25 with the parable of the talents. And I don't know about you guys, but when I look into eternity and I, I think about my rewards on that day, like A.B. and I were talking yesterday, like, man, I want like four or five trucks coming in all with different pitched backup beepers, you know, doot, 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 you know dumping off just truckload after truckload after truckload. So with that, let's hit back to that main point again. So we say all this to say that your reaction to the gospel results in your reward. Okay. Now here's to address the unbelievers. If you are in this room and you would actively, adamantly tell me today, I do not walk with Jesus, I do not know Jesus. If you're unsure in your heart, if you are looking to everything else in your life other than Jesus, then I need you to listen to my voice and to hear me right now. So again, because of our styling of the writing, we're gonna kick off talking about the unbelievers in verses eight In verses 9. So verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. Remember, this bank account here, right? We learned about it last week. Your entire life, unbeliever, your entire life's worth of deeds are accumulating here. As I said, this good works bank, without without this gold coin, without Jesus being on the account and signing every check in it, you have no bank account for good works. There is nothing to stand with you on the day of judgment. Only this account of wrath. Let's see, as the believer, Jesus paid this account. Somebody has to pay this account. Without accepting Jesus' payment for your sin, 
And without walking in his newness of life, you are left to pay this debt on your own, in your own merit. And friend, I can promise you, you don't have the bank account for that. You'll spend the rest of eternity paying for it. And all of eternity, all of creation in that moment will believe, will, will feel justified with your condemnation because Christ was made available to you and your heart was hard and you walked away. Non-believers, I want you to really sit for a moment and I want you to examine your heart. I want you to look deep. If Catherine was here this morning, it drives her nuts, but I always ask about the why. And sometimes she'll come to me and I'm like, well, honey, you just haven't asked enough whys to yourself yet because you'll find it. You'll find it. But I want you to dig through layers of your self-righteousness and I want you to see and know that right now, if you're being honest in your heart, if you do not know the Lord, you are looking at it and you desire to be the God of your own universe. You want your life mapped out your way, accomplishing your goals in your timing and for your purposes. Friend, I tell you that that is evil in the eyes of God. And you won't have anything to stand with you when you stand before him. Nothing. You don't have the foundation of Jesus to carry you into heaven. You know, A.B., Pastor A.B. threw it out a couple weeks ago and then Pastor Cody hit on it and then Pastor Johan referenced it and so now I will too. But we learned through the last several weeks, you can have it your way, but there is a better way. An unbeliever, we're getting ready to make that time for a better way here very shortly. So finishing up in verse 11, Paul comes back with a statement again for both parties. And it is simply, for God shows no partiality. That's religious, non-religious, Jew or Greek, churchgoer, non-churchgoer. Works affects everyone. What you do with your life, what you do with the gospel will be held. You will have rendered from God. You will receive payment for that wage. Wage is a payment, but you know what I mean. Brings us to our main point again. Your reaction to the gospel results in your reward. So put weight in that if what I'm saying is true and accurate, 
then we all have a reason to stop and have sober judgment here. Believers, realize that obedience to God is extremely important. If you're being obedient to God and you're truly walking in obedience, your life is gonna be full of good works and you'll be storing up rewards for yourself on the last day. And if that's you, get off the spiritual couch. Stop settling. Stop settling. Get off the spiritual couch and start seeking the list of things in 2 Peter to supplement your life. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. We learned they will help you be effective and fruitful. So that moves us to Hebrews chapter six, verses 10 through 12. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, couch potato, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. All right. So believers, I want you guys to just picture something with me. And I will probably get emotional, but it's just whatever. It is what it is. Okay. I want you to picture standing in front of the throne. And this throne has been in existence so long that every other throne that you've ever known about, whether it was real or whether that was a made-up one in a movie, are all just a picture of this throne. And you're standing before a holy God by yourself. Judgment's not a family thing. Judgment's not a church body thing. You are standing alone in front of a holy God. And believer, he will read the record of the works of your life in front of every saint who's ever lived. Every saint who's ever lived. You know, when when I'm standing before Jesus and Moses and Abraham and King David and Paul and Peter and James and all these people are gonna read the account of my life. They're They're gonna witness it firsthand. Believer, don't be that guy. Don't be the guy who has nothing built on Jesus. It's worth the labor. It's worth it. Can you picture that? Can you picture 
a life spent in sacrifice and in love to Jesus. And maybe sometimes looking like a fool and looking like a moron. But can you imagine standing before him when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. So believer, I got a question for you this morning. With this with this bunch of works here that are haphazard works that are just kind of haphazardly thrown onto a pile. What do you think is going to happen when the fire comes? You have a foundation of Jesus Christ left and it's enough to get you to heaven. But that's not the Christian way. The Christian way is never just good enough. It's never good enough just good enough Jesus is so much better than just good enough or do you want this section of works that God will judge you believer by and so when the fire comes everything stays everything stays because it was built with things that please God and that matter. Don't be that guy, believers. Please hear my voice and don't be that guy. Labor with all your might. Jesus already paid it. Jesus already paid it. You don't add up good works to make you worthy of heaven. Jesus makes you worthy of good works. All right. So every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to come back and talk to the unbeliever. I left you hanging for a few minutes. Unbeliever, I want you to hear my voice. I want you to know that there is a perfect God in heaven. And the problem with that is that he requires perfection and you are not perfect. I want you to know that Jesus, seeing that you were not perfect, being in authority on the throne in heaven for all of eternity, but he, in love for you, stepped out of that deity. He stepped out of that authority and he stepped into the flesh of his own creation as a man and he came here to earth to live a life that we couldn't to be an example that we can't and to love in a way 
that 2,000 years later still ripples through the world. And he came for you. He came because you couldn't make it on your own. And he came to draw you up out of the muck and out of the mire and to make you a new creature and to turn you into something that you're not. And he paid the price and he took the wrath of God in your place so that you might live. Believer, I want you to know the sacrifice that was made for you. And I want you to know also that on the third day, that not only did he die to pay for your sin, but on the third day, he rose again to new life. Just like I was talking about, to be the firstborn among many brethren. And he rose to signify, just like Connor talked about in worship this morning, he rose to signify that we don't have to die that death and that we can walk and live and fellowship and be friends and love with him for the rest of eternity. So unbeliever, this morning, I want you out of your comfort zone. I'm not gonna apologize for it. It's too important to worry about if you're nervous or if you're scared or if you're confused. We'll help you with that. Everybody in this room's been nervous, scared, or confused sometime. But I want you to know Jesus. And so if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus and wants to know Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand right now and make sure that I see you. You can raise your hand, you can stand up, you can wave, you can flag. As we worship in this next song, believer, search your heart. Lay your heart out before the Lord and ask Him to change it.